2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. My guest today is friend of the podcast, Mallory O'Meara. We love Mallory. She co hosts the Reading Glasses Podcast. She wrote The Lady from the Black Lagoon. And of course, her new book is Girly Drinks, um, which is all about the history of women and drinking. Um, it's a long history. It's a long history, turns out, which you will discover when you read Curly Drinks. And she touches a little bit on that history in our interview today. Uh, Yeah, we love Mallory. So, hi, Mallory. Of course, I had to have her come on and talk about her book on um, PBM. So, if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to professionalbooknerds.com. That's our website. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, I think that's all I got for you. Short and sweet intro because I really want you to listen to this interview because we – this is a Mallory O'Mara and Reading Glasses Stan podcast. So if you aren't already listening to Reading Glasses, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, Mallory and her co host Bri are amazing and awesome. We love, we love them. And – Yeah, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Mallory O'Meara on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Jill, and my guest today is Mallory O'Meara, author extraordinaire, co-host of the Reading Glasses podcast, friend of the professional book nerds podcast and author of the lady from the black lagoon her new book girly drinks is out in october mallory thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me i love being on one of my favorite podcasts so excited so can you start by giving
1: our listeners a brief introduction to girly drinks so girly drinks is the history of women making drinking and serving alcohol from the beginning of time until now (laughs) from the beginning of women until now (laughs) That's like that covers a very wide range of time <laughs> you know it's really funny because um when I started working on the book um because there I mean not to toot my own horn but like just no other book like this exists and that's why I wrote it in the first place and because there was no other books like that there's no history of women drinking at all I thought oh man it's gonna be a a slog finding, finding material. Um, It's going to be very hard for me. And there ended up being so much stuff that I had to add that prehistory chapter. It was supposed to start in the ancient world. And there was just so much cool stuff that I had to email my editor. And I was like, Hey, Peter, I have to add something to my outline because it's just so much. Uh, So the beginning of time part actually was a surprise to me, Uh, but there's a lot of really, really cool stuff. I mean, just the first ever depiction of somebody drinking is a woman. And for the longest time, we didn't know it because archaeologists and historians who found this 25,000 year old cave painting in France were so ingrained in this like misogynistic belief that women don't drink that they didn't realize it was a woman drinking they were like oh well she must just be a really crappy horn player she's trying to play a horn and she's blowing in the wrong end and it's completely just it's so completely re- ridiculous but no she's not a crappy horn blower she's the first known depiction of people drinking she's a woman um so yeah i mean that's the, that's the cool stuff i found and i had to be like okay well we're do, we're doing prehistory
2: Yeah. I think it's so interesting that,
1: you know, you're, there's
2: all this information out there, but no one had really like taken it and put it into one thing. So yeah, that sounds like a lot of work.
1: (laughs) You know, it was, uh, but at the same time, I just, I, 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 the whole time I was writing and I couldn't believe that someone hadn't already done it. Cause it's to me as someone who's a huge booze nerd, big feminist, big history nerd, it's so fascinating. Um, But just like with the, the, the cave painting, what I ended up having to do and what a lot of historians end up having to do is you you're looking at the subject from a a completely different lens. So things that older uh, historians and archeologists had looked at in one way, actually were wrong because of their bias, their racist bias or their sexist biased. Um, so it was both a lot of work, but it was kind of fun. Cause I felt like I'm doing, when, when you write a book like this that has never been written before, it, it's kind of exciting. I felt sort of like a trailblazer, like a, a Indiana Jones, <laughs> yeah. but not in a not in a, a stealing artifact sort of way. Uh, what I ended up having to do because there there's just no books about about this. I just had to take little scraps from other things. Uh, I ended up having to read t- hundreds of books on drinks history and then hundreds of books on women's history and sort of making a big Venn diagram and seeing where they crossed over. I think I read. Uh, the, the last count was like between somewhere between 500 and 700 books for this which was nuts I keep looking back on my reading life for the past year and I'm like man I did not read that many books I did not read enough books last year I'm like oh yeah I forgot about the 400 <laughs> history books that I had to read for <laughs> for my research well
2: and I, I mean like I follow you on you know social media and you had like posted pictures of all your notebooks and everything from all of your notes taking and yeah it's uh that's That does not surprise me that you would have read that many just to to pull everything together. But I hadn't considered that along with reading books about booze history, you would, you know, want to read books about women's history and sort of line them up that way
1: yeah it was really important for me to put a lot of this history in context i didn't want to just be like here's a bunch of drinks history because it's so important to to understand it um like a lot of people know about alewives and how in the medieval world women comp at least in the in the western western europe world and also in africa uh women completely controlled the beer and beer brewing industry it was just like all women, which on its own is a super cool fact. But I really wanted to put it in context because a lot of people don't realize that the reason why it was so uh, controlled by women is because It was the only trade where you could do it from your kitchen. You could do it while watching your kids. You could do it without having needing an apprenticeship or any specialized equipment or training, which is so funny to me when people are like, oh, women need to get back in the kitchen. And like, that's where the beer was being made for thousands of years. Like, that's where the booze is. Uh, So I really wanted to be able to kind of give that understanding as to why all this stuff happened and then like why. Uh, women got pushed out why sexism happened Um, so yes it was a lot of work but it was really important to me to be able to to do that I think it's interesting
2: you know you just mentioned like how like why women got pushed out and and sexism and and you know your other book obviously Lady from the Black Lagoon followed a similar thing like this woman had this role and then men (laughs) (laughs) and then men (laughs) and then i was gonna say you don't
1: have to finish your sentence jill just and then men
2: (laughs) (laughs) like that yeah like that seems you know there's a question in there somewhere but like that seems to be a focus (laughs) of yours in in your books i mean is that intentional or oh for sure
1: basically my my goal for my career is to be able to show women all women all kinds of women that they belong in the spaces that they want to be and with lady from the black lagoon it was really all about me wanting to to feel that like i belong but also show all women that they belong in the horror industry and that they have a history here and I really wanted to do the same thing for girly drinks because when I grew up and I started drinking I did not feel comfortable in the world of drinks the cocktail world is very snooty the beer world can be very bro-y and masculine so I just like I I did not want to stick my toe in there at all I was very I was very intimidated because it's so like either snooty or masculine or too masculine or both. I just didn't see my, my place in there. And it wasn't until when I was in my early twenties and my best friend started getting me into cocktails. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like this isn't intimidating because this can be really cool. Um, cause you know, the, I, I love the, I mean, love more than anything else in the world, the push that almost every industry is going through for the past four years of like getting more women in everything. Um, you know, whether it's making horror movies or making cocktails, um, But something that was really important to me is to show that like, yes, while this is happening now, and this is amazing, we also have a history here, you know, it's super cool that more women are bartending and owning bars and owning spirits brands and drinking whiskey and all this stuff. But like, we've been doing it for 1000s of years, you know, women's time in in the world of drinks started 25,000 years ago. So I just, uh, it's such an important thing to me to be like, no, you don't. You don't have to blaze a trail, like this trail's been here, you know? Yeah. You just need to like kick some some misogynists off of it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, what I, I I remember when your um the cover first came out, there's this really interesting juxtaposition that maybe was intentional, but the book is called Girly Drinks. And in my mind I sort of like associate that and I'm sure the title is, you know, this idea of like cosmopolitans and like yes. cocktails. <laughs> But the glass on the cover is clearly like it looks like bourbon on the rocks, which mm-hmm. is sort of not what you would imagine. And it's just so well done. And I think kind of covers those sort of two, like that spectrum of the types of drinks that like women drink at all. It's all there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you like that because that's, that was super intentional. I'm trying to figure out a simple way to show that because I mean, when, when people read the book, you'll see like whiskey and bourbon and, and scotch are all, they're girly drinks. They, they really are. I mean, all drinks are girly drinks just because women are, <laughs> women drink everything, but they're also yeah. involved in every type, single type of, of booze that you can imagine. Um, and yeah, we wanted something that was, it, it was, I mean, you, you go, you, you're an author you know this like it's so hard to when you're especially when you're doing a non-fiction you want to hit a bunch of different mm-hmm. notes on the cover and we we I mean it, it took us a really long time there were all these different uh, all these different versions because we didn't want it to be too historical but at the same time we didn't want it to be too stereotypically feminine because we again it's really important to me to, me to show that while girl like stereotypical girly drinks are amazing bourbon on the rocks is just as much of a so drink as anything so else <laughs>
2: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. My own history sort of of drinking. I mean, I drink in college, but I it, I was a big fan of Sex and the City. I spent most of my 20s drinking Cosmopolitans because I didn't really like it didn't occur to me that there were other options. And I think because it, it did seem very intimidating to like step outside of that. And it wasn't until my 30s. Where I'm like, oh, they're there are other drinks out there.
1: Oh, bourbon. I like bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I mean, you went through the same thing that like millions of women did, where like at that point in history, there was no like women drinking, there were no women drinking influencers. It was really the yeah. first time that in Bridget Jones' diary, the yeah. first time that we, that women got to see like, oh, here's the thing that I can drink, here are these women drinking something, you don't realize how powerful it is to see, you know, at that point, we had decades and decades of men drinking scotch, men drinking beer, you just don't really, really see women doing that. And, and Carrie in Sex and Sex in the City was one of the first women to really be connected to a drink.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, you know, that's why we talk about both on, on both of our shows, representation is so important, because you don't realize how, when you're when you're in it, how much of a massive influence it has on people's behavior and culture. And, uh, you know, it's very fun to write about sex, sex in the city in the book and the Cosmo, because it's really is like the queen of girly drinks. It, it is
2: it, 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 like, it's just so iconic and tied to that show. And
1: yes, I, I them for a very, very long time. <laughs> I was vodka, <laughs> vodka soda with lime, but yeah, there's like a handful of drinks that you drink in your twenties because you're yes. not, like, you just don't know what else. You don't know what else, and when you're in your college, you can't
2: afford good beer. So it's beer true. you can't afford is not good. <laughs> so don't it's, drink it.
1: Oh my god! Yes, yes, absolutely. Same thing. Like I, because the the difference in the on, on the beer spectrum is huge. So I like that's why I went with the vodka soda lime, especially because like, in college you're trying to be cool and yeah. you don't want to go up to the bartender and be like, I have no clue what to order. Please help me. You want to be. You want to look older. You want to look cool, and that's the space that the Cosmo filled because you could be like, yeah. oh well, I'm I'm like, I can't afford a you know, a pair of Louboutins, but I can sure <laughs> afford a cosmo and feel fancy and uh and cos- and literally cosmopolitan. Yes, sure did with a fancy little glass. And you're like, mm-hmm. look at me, <laughs> I'm awesome. i am grown up and I'm drinking a grown-up drink. <laughs> I've
2: grown up and drinking a grown up drink. That is what it felt like. That's so man, that's so weird to think about. <laughs> It is
1: weird. It is extremely
2: weird. Uh, And yeah, then discovering bourbon just sort of changed everything. And now we'll take a quick break for word from this week's sponsor. With the stresses of last year, it's more important than ever to practice living healthier and happier lives. So what if a few minutes was all it took to change your relationship with stress and anxiety, transforming your life for the better? That's the power of meditation with Headspace. Our thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app, making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. I love their SOS mini meditations for a quick breather. They relieve my stresses and bring me a moment of peace amongst my daily chaos, which, as I'm sure we all know, everyone's life is a little chaotic right now and still is, and we don't know when it will stop, so... The mini meditations are great for when you just need that, that quick bit of time to catch your breath. Find some Headspace at headspace.com slash PBN and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash PBN today. Headspace.com slash PBN. one thing i like about your book and what you mentioned is like you talk about how many women have from the beginning really been involved in the process of making alcohol and
1: being spirit masters and like you know can you expand a little bit more on that oh yeah i mean women basically started everything <laughs> they were they either invented or were crucial to the beginning of any mead beer wine, champagne, uh, basically anything that you can think of whiskey, gin, it all really was either, um, created by or shaped by women. And that's why I was so, so stunned that so many things aren't considered girly drinks. Cause like w- they just were the, the purview of women for so long. Um, it, it was really, really exciting to hear that even like stuff scotch one of my favorite uh favorite chapters in the book is about Bessie Williamson who was the general manager of a scotch distillery called Laphroaig and she was chosen by the sort of uh scotch uh board the the you know, the general rulers of Scotch, the, the people who were really controlling the Scotch industry over in Scotland uh, as their ambassador to the United States. And she was the one who was really, if we had to pick one person in the world, it would be Bessie Williamson, who was like a glasses wear, frumpy cardigan, a low heel, like, just like, you know, she just looked like your, your cozy aunt. She was the one who was traveling in the 1960s all across America, um, uh, trying to convince people to drink single malt scotch and so it's that's why it's it's so interesting to me that today you know we think of like nick offerman you know when we think of scotch but it's really like a lady in a frumpy cardigan who was responsible for all of that um for convincing people that no single malt is really cool it's something that you should want to drink you uh because up until that point people were just drinking like crappy scotches and blends um with with champagne um one of the the um literally the first person to ever create a dry champagne which is known as the more masculine of champagnes which is kind of weird because like the historically people always thought that sweet champagnes were for women and drier champagnes were for men Uh, but the inventor of dry champagne was a woman because she and she everyone else thought that it wasn't something that was possible and uh madame Louis pomery was the one who who created it there's i mean there's just about 5 million facts like that in the book. Uh, My goal for girly drinks is to be one of those books that you read it and you like have to go to a party. So you could be like, Hey, did you know? Um, Because there's just so many, again, there's so many stories like that and things that seem so typically masculine, even IPAs, like the official drink of the bro, you know, the person who helped popularize the use of hops and beer was a nun was Hildegard von Bingen. Like anything you can point to really started with a woman
2: uh that's so true
1: about so many things yeah. it <laughs> it really is it blows my mind um your cat totally agrees yes yeah, she yeah that would be zelda
2: she uh she just wanders the house and meows
1: for no reason you know it's important to keep people on their toes
2: <laughs> she does do that <laughs> When it happens during the podcast, not so much fun. Just like <laughs> wandering She's like, Screw around. Through the
1: patriarchy, drink bourbon. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, indeed. Um, I, you know, I think when it comes to cocktails, I, I do like my bourbon. I drink Manhattan's almost exclusively, but I do love all kinds of cocktails. And I think it's just, The idea of like creating a cocktail from scratch is such a foreign concept to me, but I, I remember, I think you did it with the Starless Sea, you were like creating cocktails based on the ones that she talks about in the book, and like, I'm just, I'm like, how does one just like who's just like i'm just gonna pour these things together is that just how it works you're like i'm just gonna pour these things together and see how it goes
1: (laughs) well there's actually (laughs) there's there's several basic drink formats um the manhattan is actually one of them um a daiquiri is another an old-fashioned is another there's a a bunch of different drink formats uh that you can sort of plug things into and there's um you just break down a drink between it's base liquor um, you know, any sort of other liqueurs that you want to add. Um, and then, you know, your bitters, your, your simple syrups, and you can swap those out. Maybe instead of using regular simple syrup, um, you can use honey syrup or a maple syrup. Maybe instead of using Angostura bitters, you use a black walnut bitter or a Peychard's bitter. Um, one of, one of the, easiest things that you can do when you want to start experimenting with cocktails is take a Manhattan and swap out something for the vermouth, swap out something like, you know, you can make a black Manhattan. I think black Manhattans are made with uh, a Morrow instead of vermouth and they're really good. Uh, and just start playing with that. And then once you have a few of the sort of drink formats in your head, uh, that's when you can start plugging things in and, and testing things out. And I have a blast with it. I am not a professional bartender. Um, it, it's, it's it's kind of funny as we're ramping up um promotion for girly drinks people are reaching out like oh you want to teach a class about drink making I'm like I can't <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a bartender I am a historian I am an author Is like not what I do but I do love it for fun um I just did one for my friend Sarah Hollowell. Uh, her book um uh yes Mm-hmm. dark and starless forest which i promise i don't only make cocktails with the words <laughs> starless in them um but it was sarah's first book and i really wanted to do something special um for for her uh for her launch and it's just it's just fun um it, again cocktails making cocktails can seem so intimidating but when you just uh break it all down it's it can be really really simple and it does not need to be as snooty as people make it out to be
2: yeah I, the idea of like cocktails you know I think when we think about drinking, there are definitely, there's like this hierarchy that seems to exist in some people's minds where, and of course I'm about to prove that by giving you my own hierarchy. but like you got like beers and there's like the craft beers mm-hmm. and then you start to like move up, but like the cocktails and then like probably just straight up hard liquor on top. And <laughs> it's just like, in my mom, like, I don't, I don't know where that comes from though. Like, I don't know where. like where it's probably
1: and probably put that in my mind about where that hierarchy came oh for sure I mean it's all a cultural thing and that's it's funny it's something I really worked hard on with girly drinks uh in two ways because one something happens when you start to break free from like patriarchal thinking Mm -hmm. where and this definitely happened to me where you start to like the, the first, I feel like the first stage is like you're like no everything feminine is bad you know I don't want to I don't want any, to deal with anything with girly things girly things are are coded as as weak and inferior um, but then you like have a horrible realization you're like no it's still the patriarchy that, that's still what they want me to think um, so uh, like there's a there's this stereotype of like the whiskey girl you know and she's mm-hmm. cool because she doesn't drink uh, you know apple teenies, she drinks she drinks rye on the rocks and she rides a motorcycle and smokes <laughs> and wears leather jackets. And like, she basically, it boils down to she's cool because she does guy things and girl yeah. things aren't cool. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that I wrote girly drinks in a way to be like, no girly, like stereotypical girl, girly drinks are still cool. They're still awesome. And in Very fact they cool. normally contain more alcohol than another type of cocktail. Um, and I, so I, I really wanted to make sure that I conveyed that, but also, um, When I was writing the book I'm a huge cocktail nerd my editor Peter Joseph is also a huge cocktail nerd he actually used to be a drinks writer so when he found out that I wanted to write this book we went out to to for coffee and he was like please write this please I want to do this I was like yes um but I found that I was using a lot of lingo and stuff that might not be accessible to somebody. Um, so when his editorial assistant, Grace Towery read it, like there were things that I was like, oh, well, bartenders started using jiggers. And Peter was like, oh yeah, everyone knows what a jigger is. You don't have to explain what that is. And Grace was like, actually incorrect, sir. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. So I really wanted to make sure, I, I, and I did a whole new pass in the book and took, and explained everything. Just wanted to make sure that, this book was as accessible as possible no matter where you are in that drink hierarchy, if you only drink strawberry daiquiris at Applebee's, if you've only like me when I was in college, drink vodka sodas. Like I just wanted everyone to feel welcome in this book. And I didn't want it to fe- I feel like you have to have any existing knowledge of cocktails. I'm already getting people who are like, oh, I don't know anything about wine or beer. Can I read your book? I'm like, yes, it will explain things to you. Please, re- please read it. You do not have there's no barrier to entry here.
2: I think that's a good point about making it accessible because I think that's where some of the intimidation of ordering things comes from. And so like, once you it's like Starbucks in a way, like you go in and you don't necessarily know what the terms mean. So if you go up to a bar and you don't know what like on the rocks means, you don't know what it means to Mm -hmm. order something up. And that once you find something, you sort of stick with it for a while. At least that was, that was my case. I'm like, I know what this is. I know mm-hmm. how to order it and feel comfortable drinking when I'm drinking. And then only later did I start to be like, what are, do these words mean? So making that accessible, I think, will hopefully help it make it easier for people to get more comfortable just
1: ordering drinks that they want to try. Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember there's so many times when I was trying to branch out into cocktails, um, and I got really embarrassed. I remember I was at a bar when I lived in Brooklyn, I was at a bar. I don't even remember where it was, but I didn't know how to pronounce Curacao. So I want, I I I think I pronounced it Caracow or something. I'm from the Boston area. I have an awful accent, (laughs) and it was I was and someone was like, "You mean Curacao?" And I was so mortified. I am like very. I think it's definitely part of nerd culture where you. Don't want to go into a space unless you are sure you know everything about it. Um, and I was so mortified that I I ended up not getting brave enough to try to order a drink drink again for months because I was so I felt like humiliated because the person like it's it wasn't like anybody was like, oh, do you mean this? They were it was definitely in a snooty way, and um, I don't ever want anyone to feel like that.
2: Yeah, there's definitely that weird kind of gatekeeping element, even if it is maybe in your own head. Um, I know that the first time I was at a bar, first time I was at a bar that had a, a very expensive bourbon menu and I ordered a Manhattan and they asked me what kind and I was just like, I don't know what kind of bourbon to order because I don't know enough about bourbon. And it was that sort of that same thing, like getting kind of, I don't even remember what I picked. Somebody else may pick picked the bourbon for me because it just, yeah, it left me feeling a little, like, embarrassed and thinking I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And that's not fun for anybody.
1: Yeah, well, especially... Sorry, I'm just trying to adjust Okay, my... I understand. <laughs> I'm so pale that any sort of sunlight makes completely blows me out and I look like a ghost. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate that feeling. And I think that is... I mean, especially in, in a lot of the the worlds that I'm in, in the horror world, even in the book world sometimes, um, in, the, in the cocktail world, that's what prevents a lot of cool people from getting into it is feeling embarrassed and feeling like they don't know enough and aren't welcome. And I hate that. I hate that so much. I hate snootery in any form. And it's so rampant in the cocktail world. Um, like that bartender should have been like, what kind? Do you want this, this, or this? We have yeah. this bourbon, we have that bourbon. But uh, and maybe they weren't trying to be, to be snoo- snooty, but uh, I just think it's something that we should all think about more that uh, uh, maybe someone might not know.
2: I'm curious, you know, obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic and so hmm. you probably <laughs> can't have like a fun launch party with cocktails um, that you would have hoped for. But in terms of you know cocktail lounges around the world are or even just any kind of like women owned distillery um are there anyone you want to give like
1: a particular shout out to on the podcast oh my god so many um yeah <laughs> ri- writing a international history of cocktails and drinking during a global pandemic was a nightmare um <laughs> it and it was a heartbreaker too because and i know so many other authors are going through this where um last year um my editor and I were like surely by next year things will be will be handled and we'll be able to because we were from go we were so excited we're like oh we're going to be able to have events at breweries and distilleries and wineries it's going to be so fun um and here we are (laughs) Uh, I am actually I I have a single in-person event um at uh Skylight Books here in Los Angeles um the California right now has the lowest uh, rates in the co- COVID rates in the country. Um, and co- skylight books was fantastic. They're like, all right, we are going to, um, we're going to put, uh, everyone has to wear masks. Everyone, everything's going to be spaced. We're even going to put covers on the mic every like, and it w- it was enough to make me and hope Ewing is the, who is the other uh, cocktail writer that I'm launching the book with feel comfortable enough to be like, okay, we can do this event in person. Um, It's again, going to be the only one, hopefully next year we'll see, um, you know, at at this point, it just feels silly to even say those words, like, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but one of the, um, oh my God, there's just, there's so many, there's so many distilleries and places that I wanted to go. Uh, there's one liquor brand, um, and they're based out of New York that I love called Pomp and Whimsy. They're gin, gin cordial. That's entirely, uh, women owned and operated, um, Hannah, Pana brewery in um in red hook brooklyn which is run, run by um alice june i really wanted to check out god i want to go to new york so much uh there's a great bar here in la that's run by women called the mermaid bar uh jill you would love it like you, it's all <laughs> undersea themed it is all mermaidy it's super super cool uh there's just so many there's a uh, I highly suggest that listeners check out to see what sort of breweries and distilleries are in and bars in their area are owned and operated by women. Um, Cause there's just, they're, they're popping up everywhere, even in the pandemic, which is truly mm-hmm. in, incredible. Um, it's awesome. And it's just such a great, cool bars are such a cool. And, and distilleries and breweries are such a cool connection to the community and such a cool community space, um, which is why I think it's so important for women to be, um accepted and welcomed into these places um so yeah there's hopefully when things get safer i'll be able to do like a whirlwind drinking trip around the country and uh get to see a lot of these places you have to come to cleveland we have some fun
2: fun cocktail bars and, and breweries here
1: So funny you say that because um, the last, so the way that girly drinks is set up for your listeners is that um, each chapter is one time period and each chapter has sort of like a main character, like one historical woman that I follow through her time period and the epilogue, the last, last part of girly drinks um, follows a bartender named Harmony, Harmony Moon Colangelo. Uh, She used to work at the side, uh, the side quest in Cleveland, which is Mm -hmm. a really cool nerdy bar. Uh, She's the first, it, she's the first trans woman to ever write a cocktail book her book uh, a year of queer cocktails is absolutely amazing uh, but i i remember i was really excited because um when people started reading the arcs there were people that i knew who were like oh my god i've been to cleveland and i've been to that bar that's so cool um so yeah fun little cl- cleveland connection with uh with girly drinks
2: yeah uh fun story about side quest it is a lot of fun um when it opened my husband and i we were still dating at the time but we stumbled on the soft opening for side quest you're just like walking in that area of town and there was this bar they had a delorean out um there's there's a there's somebody in cleveland as a local delorean that they rent out for various events i've seen it a couple different places but so they was like delorean outside the side quest (laughs) we're like what is this bar And we're like amazing bar (laughs) It's a nerd bar. We're all about a nerd bar. Yeah, side quest is fun. So the book is delightful. But if there is just like one thing you would love readers to take away from reading
1: "Girly Drinks," oh, one thing. I know it's. We uh, give me more than one. <laughs> well, i like one. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess sort of my mission statement is just like all—all all drinks are girly drinks. Um, I just want people to, um, if they're not women, to to accept that you know women are a, a crucial part of all history, but especially drinks history. Um, and for the women reading it, I want them to feel, feel welcome. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel encouraged to, to try things that they might not have felt uh, they, they could try before go to places. They might not feel welcome before or, or thought that they weren't welcome in, in those places. Um, and, and I want women to be proud that like, we've been doing it for 25,000 years.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Have sure. Have. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mallory, so much for coming on to chat with me. Of course. Anytime. Thank you for having me again. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grudenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit ProfessionalBookNerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey.